Hello, my name is Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Myers Detox podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with my friend Sayer G of GreenMedInfo.com about detox strategies to enhance regeneration and the new biology. Really, really interesting show today. And he's going to be talking about his version of the new biology, where the body's energy field comes into play, and how EMF affect the body's energy field, and therefore physical functioning, how food is information, how food actually, uh, the exact description of how food changes our genetic expression. It's food is far more than just nutrients and calories and carbs. He also talks about energy harvesting beyond food and how uh, the different ways that our body uh, creates energy and um, also stores energy, how the mitochondria work beyond just uh, the physical feeding of nutrients to it and the physical production of energy. And we also talk about detoxification and the importance of uh, employing detox strategies and how all the metals and chemicals on the planet are hindering our health, longevity, and our ability to regenerate. We also talk about Sayer's new book called Regenerate. He's got a new book coming out and a masterclass for those who like the video version um, of his book. And I was just so excited to talk to him because Sayerji is such a wealth of information. He He's a widely recognized author, writer, researcher, and presenter. He's the founder of GreenMedInfo.com, one of the world's most widely referenced and trafficked natural health resources. I get information there myself because every article is so exhaustively researched and cited. It's just a safe haven for people looking for alternative health care. Uh, the site's uniquely evidence-based content has received more than 100 million page views and attracted 50 million visitors since its inception in 2008. Sayer's reputation as a thought leader and authority in the health and wellness education field has made him a highly sought after speaker, advisor, consultant, and partner in various educational activist and business related projects. Sayer holds numerous positions and affiliations in the field of holistic medicine, including vice chair of the National Health Federation and reviewer and editor of the International Journal of Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine. He's a co-founder and CEO of Systome Biomed, which focuses on the field of the new biology and its real-world implications, and CEO of the Exosome Media Group, which works with people, projects, and brands dedicated to natural health and conscious evolution. He also serves on the steering committee of the Global Non-GMO Coalition and is a strategic advisor to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's a big uh, vaccine activist, and to the World Mercury Project, as well as to Dr. Joseph Mercola in his site, mercola.com. He also co-authored The Cancer Killers, which has sold more than 100,000 copies, Sayer's new book, Regenerate, Unlocking the, Your Body's Radical Resilience Through the New Biology, is available in stores and on Amazon March 2020, along with his Regenerate Masterclass. You can learn more at regenerateproject.com. Sayer, thanks so much for coming on the show. 
Oh, it's a great honor, Wendy. I love what you do and who you are. And it's just, uh, yeah, great, great opportunity to be here. Yeah. So I saw a post on Facebook where you said you had a new book called Regenerate come out. And you also have a, a master class, you know, with the, the principles in the book. And I just had to have you on the show. Because I respect your work so much. I've been a long term subscriber of your your emails and everything you put out is, is evidence based, just a tremendous amount of research that goes into everything you're doing. So I'm really excited about this. And I wanted to to share this with uh, my listeners. So talk about this new project, uh, Regenerate. Talk about the book first and kind of what inspired you to to write this. Thank you. What a great opportunity to share the story. Well, you know, since early on in my journey, uh, you know, I was, I was a very sick infant and struggled throughout my early years to, you know, find balance and harmony, you know, and so I've always been on the path by dire necessity to understand how the body works and specifically mine and how to heal. So Greenman Info emerged, you know, over the past 20 years as an attempt to, you know, scrape up the evidence, if you will. It's almost like a new religion. Everyone needs published science, right, to affirm what maybe you and I and your listeners feel intimately you know, in direct experience, like anecdotal healing, or why does uh, wheatgrass, you know, generate incredible feeling of healing and energy in some, and yet on the other side, it's considered woo and quackery because there isn't peer-reviewed research. So, you know, I've been spending, you know, I've been spending 20 years doing this, and after a while, it's almost, it just gets fatiguing because a lot of it has to do with pointing out the obvious, which is yes, I mean, there's how many studies now on turmeric's benefits, and then, yes, there's 300 different adverse effects just associated with statin drugs alone. Yeah, obviously, like we need a new paradigm. And for my own self, after 20 years, I started to realize that what I need and what people need more than anything is a sense of the miracle that is the body. And really, despite all the adversity I've experienced throughout my life and still experience, I can't believe I'm 47 now. I was a young guy when I started all this stuff. But uh, I still wake up every day, I feel relatively healthy, I feel excited, and yet I have my aches and pains, I would struggle with a lot of health challenges, and uh, we're just incredibly resilient. And so what I started to do is dive deep into the new biology, which in the past 20 years, I mean, it's been like an event horizon we've passed through with the discovery of the microbiome and the post-genomic revolution like of epigenetics and how we know everything from the food we eat to the thoughts we think are directly affecting our health destiny. It's revolutionary. And yet, I don't think it's been translated yet to the point where you go visit a dietitian or doctor and they have any clue about any of this. You know, we still think the genes determine our health, we inherit them from distant ancestors and our body's generally broken. And you know, we just have this really depressing view of what we're capable of doing. So when I started to plumb the depths of, of the new vision of biology, connecting to some of the things that you've already been talking about, which you're such a pioneer in this, you know, bioenergetics and quantum biophysics, the stuff that no one's supposed to talk about. And even the experts in quantum mechanics say that if anyone says they know what they're talking about, they don't. There's some truth to that. But there are certain things that are coming up, Wendy, like the inner mitochondrial membrane of each mitochondrion has 30 million volts per meters of electrical potential, 
which is a lightning bolt worth of energy in one mitochondrion. Where does it come from? I mean, I guess the assumption is it comes from the food we eat, the calories that are somehow in the, 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 the you know, piece of bread, and that somehow that turns into a lightning bolt in each mitochondrion. There's trillions of them in the body. You do the math, and there's an infinite amount of energy coursing through our body. So that's the kind of thing that got me really excited and helped me to start to appreciate that what we think the body's limits are, um, are it's completely an illusion that we are capable of profound regeneration. And it helps explain why, you know, we're in the Anthropocene, you know, there's 100,000 chemicals we're exposed to daily, most of which we know are extremely toxic. How are we still standing? You know, our body is absolutely resilient. And that's the kind of thing I wanted to get across in this book. Yes. So, so you talk about the new biology in your book. Can you explain that a little bit? I mean, you, you definitely touched on that, but can you explain yeah. that a little bit and some of the other concepts in the book as well? Absolutely. So I feel the term is needed because of what I saw with 2000 was the critical year, you know, the turn of the 21st century, where if you did a search on PubMed and you typed the word microbiome in, there's maybe like 10 studies, you know, today you, you, you search and there's about 10,000. And so there was this scaling of research. And wh why is that important? Because there were about 26 million studies, you know, the sort of like the, summer, the summary of all of our scientific labor and the topic of what things do in the body, chemicals and natural substances. The microbiome basically was not accounted for. And, and now we know that technically humans are 99 times more, you know, virus, bacterial, fungi than we are eukaryotic cells by genetic contribution. So the concept um, that I started to appreciate was that we don't really, the, the older body of research is no longer valid because we didn't even account for the role of the microbiome. Meaning like you take ibuprofen, the first thing that happens is it interacts with that microbiome. And then there's a whole metabolome produced that no one studied. And then that goes into the body and every tissue in our body has a microbiome, even the brain. So in other words, there's infinite complexity. And, and, and in many ways, like we, we know nothing about how the body works. I mean, they just discovered the brain has a lymphatic system as well. And, you know, this was supposed to be immunologically privileged organ, you know, that the brain didn't regenerate, nor did the heart. Now we know that's not true. There are neural and, and brain, you know, there's uh, cardiac stem cells constantly regenerating these tissues. And then we have microRNAs, which explain the complexity of human life. We have the same amount of protein coding genes as earthworms, basically. So after the human project, uh, genome project ended in 2005, they had the draft done. They, they were just shocked that there was only 20,000 genes. There's 100,000 proteins in each cell of the body. Clearly, the information for what makes us tick is not present in the genome, in the nucleus of the cell, as we believed for so long. Because that was a way of saying, oh, it's all, it's all there, it's, you know, predestined, there's, you know, your choices and, you know, like nutrition doesn't matter. So we, we basically have taken this incredible, like, transition. Um, and now, in fact, because of this discovery of microRNAs, which are the majority of the, what they call junk uh, DNA, you know, the dark matter of the human genome, about 98%. Most of it is transcribed into RNAs, and some of these RNAs supervene upon the protein coding genes, you know, the 2% that everyone fetishized for all this time, and that is largely responsible for 
the complexity of life. Well, it turns out these microRNAs in, exist in food and that these food microRNAs are actually able to orchestrate the expression of our DNA. In fact, some of these microRNAs, when we don't have them in our diet, our whole genome falls apart. So like a good example would be we, you can't say that cancer is caused from a lack of radiation or chemo, but we can say that's caused from a lack of certain microRNAs or informational molecules in certain foods like berries, fruits, and vegetables. So now everything changes because we realize that so much of our health depends on certain foods being in our diet. And it's not just calories and building blocks, it's information. It's almost like it's software that we need to run the hardware of our body. Yeah, exactly. And I, I look at also um, energetic information that's in food, like if you eat a CAFO cow from a feeding lot, the energy of that that animal is going to be very harmful to you, not to mention what it was fed and blah, 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 pesticides and glyphosate, etc. But some uh, the energy from a grass fed cow that had a happy life on the grass, it, that's gonna be a much different energy that's fed into your body. But you know, it's just there's more to it than that. But that's just one, one way to think of food as well. No, I love it. Um, in fact, I think that you're really speaking to something profound, because there's an ethical you know, sort of energy embedded in these relationships. And that's what I've come to understand. It's like, for example, why when I did my turmeric research project and looked through 10,000 studies, did I find that there were over 850 diseases this one plant seems to be able to mitigate? And that's because on some level, that plant is conferring health advantages to the animals consuming it because it benefits when we're healthy and when I started thinking about it, I was like, well, the angiosperm plants, the flowering plants that produce all these fruits and seeds that we eat, 70% of our food is dependent on the angiosperms. We co-evolved for 200 million years. Animals, complex animals, basically co-evolved with the plants. So certain plants didn't have wind to disperse seeds, it had animals. And so that's why we eat the delicious fruits. They nourish us, they make us strong, they heal us, we disperse their seed. We're fruitful, multiply, they're fruitful, multiply. So you start to see that there's a um, almost like um, ethical interdependence, you know, like it's very interesting. So I don't know, I feel like we're starting to see how science makes possible even the Gaia hypothesis that Margulis and Lovelock discussed years ago, which is how is it that the abiotic and biotic components of the entire planet are communicating somehow in this almost conscious entity? that's self-regulating, you know? It's, it seems kind of mystical with unicorn dust sprinkled in the background, but I think that now we see the mechanistic infrastructure because really microRNAs, as I've discussed, classical example was a study done by Zhang, published, you know, I think it was 2013, where they took Chinese patients, fed them rice, and they found that the microRNAs in the rice went into the people's bodies and and altered the expression of the LDL receptor in the liver. You know, everyone's all freaking out about lipids and, you know, the importance of, of cholesterol. Well, that was a pretty significant finding that just eating rice could alter the expression of the lipid profiles in their body. Well, now we know that's an example of what they call cross-kingdom regulation. So between animal and plant, there's a communication of essential information that alters really the genetic destiny of both kingdoms. And so we don't lo no longer have this little view of like, you know, Dawkins' selfish gene. Everything's locked into little 
genome. It takes hundreds of thousands of years to alter even a single sequence. It's actually happening in real time. We can alter, and actually a new research also shows that the somatic cells in our body can transfer through these microRNAs information to the germline cells. So that would be sperm, for example, and then alter the expression of all the progeny's DNA down the line. So it's called Lamarckism, you know? It's like, why is the, the, the blacksmith and, and, you know, his son or daughter, why are they built so well? And, you know, it's, it's like these traits can be conferred immediately. And that's powerful because it means we're very much responsible for, you know, everything we do. Everything we do has an effect. But also means we have power to undo a lot of the changes and things we thought that were locked in our DNA, you know, that it was sort of destined to experience. Yeah, you talk in your book for generate that food is is information. It it imparts information and and energy and the the RNA you talk about. So, what are some of the most healthful foods uh, that you when you're in your research that you uncovered impart some of the most benefit? Great question. Yeah. So interestingly, all foods, of course, also have a microbiome if they're not, you know, sterilized through cold pasteurization or chlorine or high heat or microwaving. So the microbiome itself provides just a living culture of, you know, extremely important uh, microorganisms. But then the foods, of course, that we benefit most informationally from are the ones that theoretically we co-evolved with for the longest time. Those are the ancestral, you know, foods. Sometimes people talk about paleo. That's another way of talking about it. But it's foods that, for example, didn't re require the elaborate technologies of the agrarian revolution, which would have been pottery and, you know, cooking apparatuses and all the things that we associate with grain-based culture. So things that are more forageable, they might be tubers and berries and seeds and vegetables and animal foods, perhaps, if there's no ethical restriction against consuming them. But, but interestingly, and this is really featured in the book in a way that I think is really fascinating, is that we now know through the amazing work of people like Jerry Pollack um, that water actually works like a molecular battery and absorbs the ambient electromagnetic uh, energy in our environment, which comes from the sun, really. So, for example, the heart right, has to pump a few liters of blood through 100,000 miles of tubing. How is it possible? It's only got seven seconds of ATP, and there's just no pump that could ever deal with the pressure gradients to make that happen. But now we know that water is actually a light-powered battery, produces this exclusion zone that's up against water-loving surfaces like our blood vessels, and it just has this, it's a perpetual motion machine, basically. So even our circulation is only explained if we understand that light is actually powering the energy of our body. And then chlorophyll and melanin have recently been found also to upregulate uh, energy production. Chlorophyll really through enhancing the Krebs cycle and ATP production. Melanin through causing a separation of charge and water molecules, basically, you know, producing was equivalent of a battery again, just through your know, natural action of it's, it's sort of like chlorophyll does photolysis in photosynthesis, it breaks the water molecule apart. But that's what melanin is actually doing as well. So technically, these are ways that we're getting energy without even getting food in our body. 
And we're not even talking about the quantum vacuum, which is a whole nother level to it. I think, <laughs> well, I huh. think we want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I we, too. When you talk about energy harvesting, like beyond just food in, in the book Regenerate and in, in your masterclass, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so what I found so fascinating is this um, gecko, basically. You know, how is it walking up the wall and on the ceiling just hanging there? It seems seemingly violating the laws of physics, right, and gravity. Well, they found that it has these plate-like structures at the end of their feet that look very much like the plates you use in the Casimir effect. So the Casimir effect is an experiment where you put two metal plates super close together and because of the nature of the quantum vacuum, where you have all these electromagnetic wavelengths, the plates are basically pushed together, which proves that you can transduce this seemingly like baseline energy in the quantum uh, vacuum. It's like this fundamental jiggle that happens, or wiggle, and turn it into actually work in the sort of macroscopic plane. So in other words, the quantum vacuum has a near limitless amount of energy available. It's a, the question was always, can it be transduced in, in a way that you know shows up physically and does you know work in physical systems? And and the gecko appears to be capable of transducing that energy. When you look at things like lamb shift in atoms and molecular structures and then supramolecular, you find examples everywhere of how free energy is actually holding together physical structures. So it's not actually, you know, any any big leap in, in logic or observation to say that our bodies are harvesting this energy. But what I got really fascinated by was, you know, looking at the mitochondria because they have all this immense power available to them, you know, 30 million volts per meter uh, compared to like the power lines, I think it's like 500,000 volts per meter. That's how much energy potential is like coursing through those lines. So this is just in one mitochondrion. So you have millions of them. So there was a research that was performed by a, an army scientist by the name of Samuel Goldfein in 1970s. And he tried to test this theory of Louise Kevron, who observed that, for example, chickens in Brittany uh, were consuming, you know, calcium rich stuff and yet excreting all this calcium. It was as if they were creating calcium out of the void. Well, his deductions led to this new way of understanding how well, basically biological systems are able to transform elements into one another through low energy nuclear transformation. Instead of high pressures, high temperatures, like you'll see in reactors, you know, because they've been able to turn metals into gold and everything in very small quantities using lots of energy, but you know, it was never really believed you could experience something called biological cold fusion. But so needless to say, this army scientist performed a series of tests on mitochondria and was able to confirm, it was like seven ways that mitochondria work like a cyclotron particle accelerator. It's basically the magnesium ATP is like a he he helical structure and it's accelerating protons to near speed of light, causing basically almost like a nuclear collision and transforming light basically into matter and transforming elements into each other, as well as producing what's known as over unity, more energy ex, ex, uh, uh, created than put into the, the reaction. So this, this, got, this was blowing my mind, but it helps explain why, for example, 
an air plant can grow on copper wires with just nothing. You know, so, so, so the premise here is our bodies are generating matter from light and from the quantum vacuum, which ha may help explain some of the anomalous examples of yogis like who live for, for, for long periods of time and they don't eat or drink water and other miraculous healing uh, experiences that we know have happened as well. Yeah, I wish I could do that. <laughs> I wish I could just live on us uh, pharmaceuticals and not yeah. eat or not eat, uh, but I can't. Uh, but because uh, I love food so much, yeah. So let's talk about uh, detoxification. So you discuss that in your book, and um, you know I totally agree with you. That's uh, you know a fundamental piece of the puzzle for your health, for longevity, for quality of life, because these metals and chemicals interfere in so many different um you know systems and enzyme production and protein production they, they poison a lot of different enzymes yes. that make proteins in the body and that's why they cause all these symptoms um can you talk about that a little bit absolutely like for me it's one of the most obvious challenges of our time is the way that the conventional medical community just totally disregards the obvious uh problems associated with toxicant exposure and accumulation and that's including non-native electromagnetic radiation, as I know you are a big advocate of helping people know the dangers of and mitigating. So it's it's like a huge, massive cover-up, really, that's like established on an ideological level. Like it's interesting because I've looked at this in the case of toxicology, is almost like the discipline whose subagenda is to 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 make people believe that toxic substances are really not that bad for us and our liver just kind of takes care of it. When you think about how products are approved in this country is that it's called the um, weight of evidence uh, standard. So they basically take a test group of animals, they give them this poison that kills half of them, the LD50, and then from there they deduce an acceptable level of harm assuming that you can just scale up the body size to a human and then okay it's safe let's just release on the market as if there's such a thing as an acceptable level of harm it's the most unethical concept whereas the precautionary principle says that no actually if you're going to go release a product on the market the manufacturer and the government should have to prove it's safe before they do that and guess what it's unethical to prove in a human study you know, through poisoning a group and not poisoning another, that something is safe. You just would never, you would never release this crap onto the market. So they just do it on the masses. <laughs> do it on the masses. That's and great. You know, and then you have the patented toxic chemicals called drugs, FDA approved drugs, and they use post-marketing surveillance. It could be vaccines or it could be, you know, ibuprofen or whatever, Vioxx. It's not until 50, 60,000 people die they do these broad epidemiological surveys and they're like, oh, wow, maybe Oops. there's a cause and effect, right? Oops. And then you have pharmacology where the opposite agenda applies, which is they're trying to teach us that no, actually, these toxic poisons are essential for our health. In fact, that you need them. Like aspirin's a great example. How many decades did, you know, Bayer's Wonder Drug get pushed on the public as life-saving for primary prevention of cardiovascular disease, and only now are they acknowledging that it's causing far more harm than good. So it's like, invariably, there's this amazing psyop being run. You know, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. I just know the way these people are trained. My father's a, a teacher at you know, pharmacy and toxicology, so early on, I sort of got a little sense of how they operate. So they really mean well, a lot of them. My father really means well, but 
you know, it's just the way they think. It's just so um, opposite to the way people like you and I think, which is let's avoid the exposure to these toxic chemicals and let's acknowledge they accumulate in our bodies and we need to detoxify them, support the process. And that's medicine, actually. You know, 99%, I believe, of, of health you know, concerns, especially chronic ones, are you know, byproduct of the accumulation of toxic substances, both our own endogenously produced that aren't cleared because our organs are suffering with the burden. I mean, a good example is cyanocobalamin. This is a B12 supplement, right, that's, that's created by, by taking sewage sludge and, and adding some cyanide in. It creates this chelate. And then people take it as a supplement. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't help some people. It's just that if you have cyanide exposure already, let's say you're a smoker, last thing you should do is take that form of B12. And, or if you have cyanide poisoning, they inject, inject you with actual non-cyanide-containing hydroxylcobalamin, and then it chelates to becoming cyanocobalamin, so it's excreted. So it's like, I don't know, I'm just giving one example of where toxicants are and metals we just need to avoid them it's essential for our healing yeah and it's, they're so ubiquitous in our environment these heavy metals and chemicals and stuff we're slathering on our body every day it's just an essential component to, to add that piece of the puzzle to your health regimen so i love that you're talking yeah. about that Absolutely. and then um and anything else that you want to discuss i know you know you talk about um you know energy in your book how the mitochondria produce energy beyond, you know, nutrients and food that we're feeding it, you know, in quantum physics, like what role does EMF play mm. in this electromagnetic frequency in screwing up all uh -huh. that communication in our body? I mean, EMF is such a huge topic. Wendy, I was not even really fully aware of the harms until about two years ago. I have a lot of uh, credit to give to Josh Del Sol, who did the documentary Take Back Your Power. We became friends. He visited my home and did his testing of my EMF situation. At the time, I had a wireless router close to me. I really just did not realize that that 2.4 gigahertz standard, all the Bluetooth devices, you know, that's the same wavelength that the microwave ovens use to cook food. I mean, it's insane the amount of EMF exposure and the way it targets water molecules. So as we start to understand the rollout of, of 5G, for example, and the 20,000 plus satellites uh, that the FCC's um, given Elon Musk through Starlink to throw up and put a grid around the planet, that even the meteorologists and the astronomers are up in arms because it's going to so dramatically affect all the water molecules that they can't even get accurate readings anymore. We're going to basically microwave the entire biosphere for what? So we have faster streaming? I doubt it. It has a lot to do with global real-time surveillance, uh, which they've rolled out in China already, we know, and I think California is next. And it's part of that agenda. It has nothing, nothing to do with the you know the, the 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 what they're saying it's for it's it's really kind of a nefarious so anyway when it comes to EMF exposure I hardwire everything you know I have a phone here but it's on airplane mode it's crazy I consider it a lit cigarette basically and I feel you know and I, I mean, love even, that I love right? that yeah oh my god if, if I'm in a social setting and I have it on around someone I feel like I'm harming them and and vice versa I know they don't know better so. 
we don't really have a solution yet for this. It's the most powerful device on the planet, and it connects us to everyone, and it's extremely beneficial. Oh, I, mean, I love my phone. <laughs> right? But, but there is a movement to create safe technology, yeah. and I know that there are ways and there are people that are working on it. So, you know, I do my best to mitigate exposure, but yes, only because you can't see it. It's just like, you know, radioisotopes and... You know, take one of these safe and sound meters. It's like a Geiger counter, and it should be treated that way as far as potential harm. Only the difference is, well, it's actually not that different. Gamma radiation and the EMF wavelengths, I feel, are, are you know, in many ways very similar in terms of toxicity to the body. Yeah, that's why it's so important to be thinking about EMF protection and, and you know, ferreting out exposures in your home that's harming more, you more than you think. And I love that you did the 5G crisis summit. I yeah. love that. Obviously, you had 200,000 uh, yeah. people join you uh, in that in that summit because it's, uh, you know, people are learning that it's something they really yeah. need to be paying attention to, especially if they have mystery illness and they can't quite figure out what's going on with them. Totally. In fact, uh, Wendy, the, the thing that finally struck me was when the, the corner was turned a few years ago and data was acknowledged to be more valuable on this planet than oil, that that is the new digital goal, that it started to make sense that why are they putting these wireless meters on our homes? It's for surveillance and data capture because they can sell that as more valuable than the actual utility because the, the actual utility becomes less efficient. Uh, power goes up in costs and there's so much dirty electricity generated through these devices you know the on off uh the dc ac converter was a power switch mode thing is creating all this dirty emf but all that can be mitigated there are ways that you can put transient suppression on your you know panel and you know there's various devices i'm sure you're you're very much um in the know about so i think it's just something that we have to work on together as a community there are many people i I'm, i have a school here in miami that doesn't understand yet the dangers of emf and i'm doing whatever I can to teach them that, hey, there's a, a better way, that the kids should not be bathed in a microwave constantly. And how many schools are aware of this? I mean, they're only going going further in that in that direction. Yeah, and I think there's just, it's gonna be more and more of a pressing concern, especially as, you know, by 2021, Elon Musk and Starlink are gonna have, uh, what is it, 20,000? of these 5G satellites or 5G they're called and then another company I think I believe it's One West is also uh, going to uh, have several thousand as well and there's another company that's going to have more and yes. you know these different companies are competing for space and ownership of our yes. our you know ownership of the information yes that, yes and the control that can be had with these mm -hmm. satellites. Um, yeah. So it's just gonna be more of a growing concern. I, my concern is gonna be more sleep issues, more anxiety, more depression, uh, yes. and more people with mystery illness and they can't, they can't figure out what's going on with them. Absolutely, I think the wavelengths of concern here are gonna have neuropsychiatric and cardiovascular effects, but generally speaking, they, you know, this is one thing I've learned recently, Wendy, is. If we think about the EMF that's naturally given off by our cells, for the longest time, it was considered just to be a byproduct of metabolic activity, meaning the cells are just these physical things in this Newtonian space, and they're just giving off heat and other electrical signals. 
But there's a new way of looking at it that actually, in fact, we are first and foremost energetic and the, and the physical component is itself almost like an off-gassing. It's the biomass is the shell and the EMF or the electricity is what actually life is. So when you start to see it inverted in that way, and there's a paper about this that's fascinating. It talks about the electrosome, almost like the metabolome, or um, is that you start to understand EMF strikes to the heart of what life is and, and has extremely deleterious effects. It's far more of a concern when we start to understand life as electrical, first and foremost, in other words. And I think it is. So. Yeah. And, and when I learned about when I first was exposed to bioenergetics and the fact mm -hmm. that we have an energy field from my friend Harry Massey, who owns nesshealth.com, um, and all the work that he's done for decades on this, um, it just completely turns what you thought you knew on yeah. its head when yeah. you thought you knew how the body worked and then it's actually we're all energy um, wow. and, and you can you can act upon that energy field positively or negatively to have wow. positive or negative physical effects yes no no so talk to us about um your master class the regenerate master class that you have and yeah. uh, what uh, someone will learn uh, on this class, on this course? Sure. Well, I've never done a master class before, and it's sort of part of my you know, new stage of just showing up. Like, you know, because the thing is, before I created Agreement Info, I worked with thousands of people. You know, I was um, educator, manager of a health food store chain in Southwest Florida, <clears throat> and I spent all day for 10 years, every day, just talking to people, trying to help them. It's such a direct thing. It's like you and I talking or podcasting versus what I did after that. For 10 years, I was behind the scenes, you know, gathering research, writing. It's the process takes forever. You know, I spent three years writing this book. And it's like after that, like I just realized I'm ready just to show up and communicate everything I know again directly to people. So that's what I like about the masterclass format is I can just sort of communicate what I feel is essential versus the labor of love and torture it was to create this book. <laughs> it's I mean, amazing how much research goes into every article, every book, etc. Exactly. I mean, in fact, when I delivered the manuscript to my publisher, Hay House, it was twice the size as our contract. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time. I was like, I'd get, I thought I'd get congratulated because I gave them twice the value. It was not like that. They're like, oh, my God, this is not... You have to cut this in half. And it was, it, oh my, I can't tell you how hard this process was. So for me, getting through that window and then having to read the audible version, which took five days, I almost dropped dead from exhaustion afterwards. <laughs> and, and then I found out there was a Wi-Fi box. I mean, no wonder I was having so much challenges. Uh, and so I just sort of wanted to communicate to people more like succinct, charged, like, and sort of evangelical truth to them to get them excited and then deliver more practical content than is, you know, able to be communicated through the book. Yeah. So, yeah. And then we have a whole um, food as medicine cooking class uh, with uh, my, my, my favorite chef. And then we have a regenerative fitness program because, you know, after I wrote the book, I, I had been a marathon person there uh, in 2019. I was like all proud of myself. And I just completely messed myself up, mm -hmm. I have to admit. So then I ended up meeting this amazing coach uh, who helped me to regenerate 
my, my system, just going back to simple exercises, breathing and crawling. And, and that just, that's another part that we want to deliver to people that the book couldn't contain. So. Yeah, that's what my exercise routine comprises of is crawling. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> Me is crawling to the coffee maker in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And sometime. walking and walking too. Yeah, no, walking, that's a huge part of it. That's such medicine if done with, with just breath and consciousness. For yeah, sure. I do the 80s power walking. With ah, the, with the weight, yeah. I mean, with the arms flailing. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, hey, it's coming back in style for a reason. <laughs> yeah, and so I love that when people, they, they create a book. And, you know, and some people, it's just too much for them. So I love it when people create a master class also. It's because people learn in different formats. So I love that you have like every format available, the, the book, the audio book, and then the video version also. Totally. Yeah, I just, I went all out because, you know, at this point, my hope, Wendy, is this is the beginning of me and just the world, just regeneration is what we need. And it's not just physical, it's spiritual, it's relationships, it's technology. I'm like just so excited about some of the things I learned in this process that I'm ready for just inviting that in. Like we, there's, we live in an amazing time, you know, we just have to navigate things correctly and i think we can come out the other end like just in a very beautiful place yeah yeah i know the kind of the more you learn about all of these potential threats in our yeah. environment the more and more toxins are coming out the more there's more and more emf and then there's the coronavirus and then there's all these things uh it, it, you can get fearful and and overwhelmed but there's a lot of things that you can do to to help yourself and regenerate and you know so i love that you're giving all these tools and information to people, uh, very cutting edge stuff. So you guys, there'll be links to everything we discussed, the, your book and your masterclass in the, the show notes. Um, but tell us where we can learn more. What site can we go to? Sure. Uh, well, we always have Greenman Info. We have that daily newsletter there. And I've, I'm actually starting to write again. For three years, I basically stepped out and now I'm ready to get back into some of the more exciting things that I haven't been able to address in a while. And then we have the regenerateproject.com. You can get a sample uh, chapter of the book and also updates of just the new research that uh, I really think will help to inspire people to know that we can heal ourselves, the planet, relationships. That's really what I'm looking to do. Well, Sayer, thank you so much for coming on and imparting your wisdom on everyone. I love having you on uh, because you're just always so interesting to talk to. Thank you so much. I so appreciate what you're doing. And uh, yeah, this is a great honor. Thank you. Yeah. And everyone, thanks for tuning into the Myers Detox podcast. Every week we talk about subjects related to heavy metal, toxicity, chemical toxicity, detoxification protocols, supplements, saunas, etc., and alternative health as well. So thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you guys next week. Mm -hmm.